0: dine on delicious gourmet cuisine enjoy more than 20 activities and make memories with your family for more information visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor ladies and gentlemen may i have your attention please you are listening to the big cruise podcast
1: G'day and welcome to episode 72 of the Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Baz, I'm your host, and this episode was recorded on Friday the 17th of September. In just a few minutes, Chris will be joining us in a slightly different way. He's actually um, away this week, but he offered to uh, record uh, his maritime history for us, which he has done so and sent through, and it's a great... Uh, segment, and it's a listener question that has been sent through to him via his social uh, channels. And it's a question that he gets quite a lot whilst he's on the, the cruise ships as well, so we'll be hearing from Chris in just a moment. A little later in the show, we've got a great guest. He's a fellow podcaster. He's also a cruise director. Kabir is based in uh, eastern Canada, and he'll be joining the show to tell us all about his uh, life at sea. Uh, but before we do anything else, let's have a few uh, thank yous, a few shout-outs because we want to thank Gary in New South Wales. Gary, you sent through some great questions via the website, and thank you for those. I'd just haven't had chance to uh, to record them and get the answers into this week's podcast but we will certainly try to do that for next week in episode 73. If you yourself have a question you want to send it through do so via the website the and in the top right hand corner click on join the show. Also thanks to David you've become the latest member of our coffee club. You supported us via, uh, via buy me a coffee and for that we are very very grateful. For those of you that are not aware there is an advert somewhere in this podcast that tells you all about buy me a coffee and it's basically the way that you can keep this podcast on air so thank you to David and all of our members that uh, have made those donations but let's get straight into today's episode episode 72 we really hope you enjoy it First up on the podcast, it is always our good friend and maritime historian and uh, normally all things cruise News, Chris Frame. Now, Chris is away, but he has kindly pre-recorded an answer to a question that comes up quite a lot. Um, not only have I heard this a number of times, but also he gets it on his socials and he gets asked it whenever he does a lecture on board a cruise ship. It's all about the evolution of shipping and how the the shipping industry, um, I guess, progressed from reciprocating engines to turbines to diesels. And I guess what we're heading towards now with the LNG and other future developments. So, uh, Chris, it's over to you, mates. Thanks
2: so much, Baz. And yes, this is a question that I do get quite often. Um, and it's one that particularly... Uh, comes up during the lectures that I do on the different cruise ships, but I'm talking about the evolution of the passenger ship because the turbine really did revolutionize the way in which uh, passenger ships were operated. Now, up until the 1880s, the main form of power for a passenger ship was reciprocating engines, and these are those giant sort of piston-driven engines. You probably would have seen it, in the film Titanic, when the chief engineer walks into uh, the room, uh, the engine room of the ship and you see these huge towering engines with big pistons going backwards and forwards, um, and those engines were uh, the reciprocating style. Um, they they started off on passenger ships as a single um, reciprocating engine and then developed into uh, double and then quadruple, uh, triple rather, and then quadruple expansion engines where They ended up taking up huge amounts of space and were uh, very large and very complicated pieces of machinery. Um, The turbine was designed by Charles Parsons in 1884. Um, And the Parsons Turbine style actually started to be utilized by the Royal Navy. Um, There's a whole backstory as to how that came about. And if anyone's interested, I I could always talk about that in a future podcast. But um, it was noticed by a few shipping lines. One of the first transatlantic lines to notice it was Cunard with the development of the Lusitania and the Mauritania. Um, And they actually planned to use these turbine engines that had been so successful for the Royal Navy in their um, passenger ships. But while the plan was to have Lusitania and Mauritania, these two huge new liners, designed to run with Parson's turbines, they had never really put these engines into service before. They'd never utilised turbines on a large passenger ship. And and so what Cunard did uh, is they built two ships of a smaller class, the Coronia and the Carmania, um, twin-funnelled, uh, ex- express liners from the North Atlantic service, but not to the same scale of Lusitania and Mauritania. But what they did is they put the Parsons turbine in the Carmania and they put the old-style um, reciprocating engines into the *Coronia* and looked at the economics of the two ships when they were operating on the trans- Transatlantic service. And it turned out that um, uh, Carmania with the turbines was faster and more efficient than Coronia with the reciprocating engines. And so this really did give them the reassurance that they needed to go ahead with that decision to make the Lusitania-Mauritania fully turbine-powered ships. Now, the turbine was very successful. The Lusitania-Mauritania had four turbines for their four propellers. Um, and how It would work. I mean, it's a much smaller style of engine than the reciprocating engines, but the high-pressure steam would go into the the high-pressure turbines, and then it would be recirculated into the lower-pressure or intermediate turbines to help the ship become very efficient, I suppose, from that style of technology. Fast forward to when the Titanic and Olympic were built, they actually utilized uh, reciprocating engines and turbines. Um, And so... That's why you see the reciprocating engines in the film Titanic, why Starline was a little bit more conservative with its with its approach to the development of those ships. And so you had two reciprocating engines and then in the center, a central turbine that drove the middle propeller, the Titanic and Olympic both had three propellers. Um and that central propeller there was um uh was able to to operate uh, on that turbine and it was a low pressure turbine, so it would take the the, the steam that bled off the uh the original um, reciprocating engines, and it would be fed into that central turbine. Really, if you look at that development from the 19s sort or of 20s onwards, turbines became the norm. Um, Cunard, obviously, again on the North Atlantic, very successful with using turbines on um, Queen Mary and Queen Elizabeth. Um, some of the other big passenger ships also utilized turbines. They were they were um, the main mode of transport on board ships of the Orient Line, for example, all the way up to Oriana. Ships of P&O all the way up to Canberra, uh, and uh, and of course. Uh, transatlantic liners utilized them up until the 1960s. They've now since been replaced by diesel and LNG-powered ships, which, of course, we, we've we spoken about now. In fact, the last turbine-powered cruise ship was built in 1984, and that was the Sky Princess, which went on to sail as the Pacific Sky uh, for p in Australia. So turbines had a long run um, and were a very efficient and effective way of powering ships but have been superseded now by by diesels. And that's kind of the reason why the change happened because that efficiency from the reciprocating engine to the turbines was was noticed by passenger shipping companies um it took a line like cunard to to take the, the jump um, and and commit to the turbine and then when the efficiencies were proven um it became the norm similarly with diesels as ships became you know more and more efficient with their turbines they they ran into a into a sort of um, a ceiling there, I guess, with what the turbine could deliver and the diesel engines were were both more economical and, and easier to maintain. So they moved across to those uh, for the modern day cruise ship fleets. And then now we're starting to see a transition to LNG powered ships and gas turbine powered ships. So you're starting to see uh, changes and moves away from diesel. So uh, the evolution continues. Hopefully that answers the, the question there Baz and uh, back to you in the studio.
1: Brilliant, Chris. Thanks for sending that one through. Unfortunately, we don't have time for cruise news this week, but Chris will be back with his full usual services as of episode uh, 73. Just a reminder, if you have got a question for Chris, send it through via the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com, and join the show is where you can send that through to us. Hello, it's me again. Just a quick reminder. Um, if you want to help keep this podcast on air, there's a little way that you can do it. If you're familiar with Patreon, which other podcasters and YouTubers use, that's a way of uh, sending a little donation uh, through to them. We use something similar, but we use a system called Buy Me A Coffee. Um, just like uh, buying your friends uh, a coffee in the coffee shop, very, very similar, although you're not physically buying me your a coffee, you're making a small donation. And every donation is greatly appreciated because it really does help to uh, to keep us on air. And the benefit is, once you have made that donation, um, you are then receive priority access to the podcast because if all of our supporters do receive the, uh, the link to the podcast the moment that it is made live, and uh, it can take about 12 to 24 hours for iTunes and the other podcast directories to, to pick it up. So if you would like uh, that priority access, then the easiest way to do so is to support us via Buy Me A Coffee. You can buy one coffee, you can buy two coffees, you can buy ten coffees, or you can buy a whole year's supply. It's entirely up to you, but every single uh, little donation through Buy Me A Coffee is greatly appreciated the links of how to do so you'll find in the show notes of each and every episode thanks in advance Listeners, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome our next guest into the studio. He had cruised from a very young age. In fact, he had done more than 25 cruises by the time he found himself with a career at sea. And more recently, he has been recognised as one of the youngest cruise directors out on the ocean. With absolute pleasure, please welcome to the podcast, Cruise Director, Kabir.
3: Hey, thank you for having me on the show. I'm so excited to be here. And I'd just like to point out, like, 2021 technology at its finest because we are literally on opposite (laughs) sides of the globe. Exactly. So it's cool that we're able to record this. I, I don't think you can get any further from Canada. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm Western Australia,
1: you're Eastern Canada. It is pretty much, a, as you say, directly opposite each other, It's just insane that this technology allows us to do this uh, even five years ago. I think it will probably have still been a bit of a struggle, but um, yeah, no, it's it's great and I uh, really, really appreciate your time. It's very, very late in the evening for you. It's kind of mid to late morning for me, but uh Let's jump into this. You've had an incredible uh, couple of years, and uh, as I mentioned, you uh, you found yourself on twenty five different cruises before you found yourself with a career at sea. Um, you must have started cruising at a pretty young age.
3: Actually, I was I was six, and uh, <laughs> I I do remember elements of that cruise. It was an amazing, amazing time. Uh, it was aboard the X Song of America. It was oh. called the Sunbird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it was a. Yeah, a former Royal Caribbean ship who is still sailing as Celestial Olympia. I saw her in yeah. Izmir, Turkey and took a bunch of selfies with her about uh, <laughs> five, six years ago. And she looks great for a ship that was built in, you know, the 80s. She just looks gorgeous. So um, and she, I hope she's kicking for a long time. But yeah, my first cruise was uh, six years old. There wasn't uh, even an elevator up to where our cabin was. You had to take the stairs. No elevator. Oh, wow. <laughs> Crazy yeah. details. Um, mm-hmm. And at
1: what point, was it as a six-year-old or was it a little bit later in life that you suddenly thought... Do you know what I want to work at sea? I want. I want to find a job that I can just fall in love with and and follow my heart around the world.
3: That happened. I mean, I was pretty darn young. I would say probably ten-ish years old. Um, my family and I were on a cruise. I remember seeing the cruise director up on stage, and it was uh, it was a Carnival cruise ship. Um, yeah. I think it could have been triumph for valor one of those ships Mm -hmm. and the way that theater is designed it's very grand on that class of ship they're absolutely gorgeous Mm -hmm. but i remember seeing the cruise director on stage and going wow it seems like a great job and you know you always hear the cruise director you see the cruise director and it was something that stayed in the back of my mind and then eventually when i finished school and finished uh college i was newly single which was partly a motivator um i just decided to pursue a life at sea so that happened about i was 20 years old at the time and i had a goal i wanted to be cruise director within two years and i basically hit it on the dot which i didn't necessarily think was going to happen but it did
1: yeah that's that's pretty quick i think i would take a stab in the dark and say most cruise decks would take quite a bit longer to to go from say like an entertainment team member to to reach that rank because that must be pretty unheard of. i would say
3: yeah, definitely. It was unheard of. And to be honest, it it has, it has pluses and minuses. I think it was cool for the company I started with, uh, which was uh, Carnival, mm-hmm. to get some fresh blood in. But at the same time, for me, it was interesting. I feel like I've had so many life lessons just in terms of leadership, in terms of relationships, and um, just being a better person because of that, because I had that experience so young, and I'm really grateful for that.
1: Yeah. For you, for the for the listeners, you have a great podcast. And uh, before I agree, not that I wouldn't have let you on the show, but I just wanted to get a feel for you and who you were and what you'd done. And I actually binge listened to the first 10 episodes of your podcast, which we'll, we'll talk about <laughs> towards the end. And straight away, I was like, yeah, you, 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 you're definitely going to be one of the best uh, cruise directors. You can just tell by your personality and your energy that... Uh, and, and I always say that, you know, a good cruise director can really elevate somebody's holiday to, to the absolute next level. Um not, oh, well, not everybody needs a cruise director, but I think if you get a good one and an excellent one, uh. it, it makes a big
3: difference. I think you're a thousand percent right. And I remember being a kid and having good cruise directors and bad cruise directors. And mm-hmm. there's something to be said for the fact that when you get on a ship, they tell you who's the captain, who's the hotel director, who's the cruise director. Yeah. Um, you know, but thank you for those kind words. And likewise, very much so for your show.
1: Oh, thank you. (laughs) So obviously, cruising is kind of just restarting now um, in different forms around the world, not so much down here in Australia. But um, since you started at sea in your career, how long have you, you been at sea until the kind of cruise pause happened?
3: So I had been at sea at that point for five years on the dot. I actually began in February 2015 and everything went on a pause in March of 2020.
1: Oh, wow. I, I don't expect you to say the, the cruise lines and the ships because some people don't necessarily want you to do that. But how many ships and kind of how many different cruise lines were you working for?
3: So I've worked across 10 ships and I have worked for four different brands at this point. And oh. part of that was strategic as well. I, um, I'm um i a total cruise ship geek in the sense that I I just love everything about ships. Uh mm. My husband said that there's three people in our marriage there is him i and my cruise ships pretty much <laughs> so he uh he loves that he was like I, I did not know i was going to be doing this <laughs> um but uh yeah i think i think for me um it's definitely a part of of what i of who i am rather
1: yeah no of course i just out of interest has he since found a love of cruise as well or is he still yet to be convinced
3: well, you see, we're uh, a COVID relationship. <laughs> oh wow! Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, we're we're fairly young. We uh, began dating last year. Got married uh, April of this, or sorry, August rather of this year. And he's never been on a cruise with me. However, he has taken a cruise before.
4: Right. Funny
3: enough, I asked him because uh, he's he's Brazilian. I said, "So, honey, which which ship have you been on? Like, what was your cruise?" And I remember this was on our first date. He was like, I went on this ship. It was really big. It was called the Soberano. And I was like, look, I call myself a cruise ship aficionado. I have never heard of a large cruise ship called the Soberano, right? I did some Googling. It turns out in Brazilian Portuguese, it's Sovereign. So he was on the Pullmanter Sovereign. (laughs) So... A Little bit of uh, I call it Pringlish there, um, uh, brilliant, yeah. So, we but nonetheless, uh, it, it was cool knowing that he'd been on a cruise and he said he had a great time. So, I anticipate his, he's going to enjoy it. Well, things
1: are starting up in the in North America, so I'm sure you'll have a cruise on the horizon of some description in the not too distant future. But, uh, let's talk about a typical day of a CD or a cruise director because you know. I guess people hear that bing bong and the, the magic voice coming over the tannoy um, and some cruise directors are more visible than others. But kind of what goes on on a typical sea day? There must
3: be lots and lots of things that we don't
1: think of that are happening kind of behind the scenes.
3: Yeah, definitely there are. But I think sea days for me are are cool because it's when entertainment gets to flex a little bit, you know? Yeah. We yeah. get to put out all the best stuff. We get to go out in full force and really give people a taste of what we're made of. So for me, it's kind of like, the marathon starts at 8 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> um, usually I will have prepared that C-Day for, at, I would say, at least two weeks before. I like to work very, very far ahead. Mm-hmm. In the event that there's any changes, it's just so much easier to jump into something and just modify yeah. rather than have to write something from the ground up on top of everything else going on. So usually I'm up by about 8, 8.30 I've got my laptop in my cabin, so I'll check on my emails, do everything I need to do. Not going to lie, I do that from bed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'd say I'm out the door by about 9.15. Usually, um, at that point, it's time for the morning announcement. I try to be conscious and not make an announcement too early because I like to sleep on holiday. Um, Mm -hmm. I actually took a cruise with uh, Holland America Line a couple of years ago, and the thing is, they're so lovely. They don't make announcements till like 11. And I yeah. really appreciated that. <laughs> um, so anyway, I always remember that. Um, usually I'll make the announcement, go up to the bridge, see the captain, uh, meet up with the assistant cruise director. All the assistant cruise directors I've ever worked with have been fantastic. Uh, there are a couple of really, really great ones. If my friend Rachel is listening, hey, um, <laughs> she was the assistant cruise director with me at uh, my the cruise line I worked at in Australia and uh, actually we work together at my most recent line too. So okay. we'll usually go for a walk around the ship at that point. And generally there's something happening at about the ten thirty slot. Usually in the theater, I'd have like a, a short excursions presentation, or there'd be some sort of event up on the pool deck. Usually let's just say it was a first sea day. So it's short excursions. I'll host that until eleven thirty. around 12. I'll have my signature dance class on deck. Then right after that, I'll do another PA for the afternoons events. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'd say the whole ship goes on siesta between about one o'clock and three. (laughs) Um, If you've ever noticed on a sea day, it just suddenly becomes quiet at that point. Everybody's a little bit, uh, they're asleep because they drank too much and they're (laughs) resting (laughs) off their lunch and they're getting ready for dinner. So generally I would say I'm pretty safe to go to the office and then rest up again until about six. We'll do the evening announcement and then I'll do another walk around the ship a few times at least for an hour mixing mingling just seeing people people are usually going to dinner so i'll be along the promenade deck so easy that way yeah and um yeah then i'll be in the theaters for the shows i'll be always at the entrances at the end um usually usually a game show between at one of our aft lounges so Mm -hmm. i'll go to that between the shows and then i'll be back in the theater for the second show and then that show will end i'll be at the doors Uh, And if there's a deck party up on deck, I am there either, um, either I will host it or usually it's my team. The thing is, look, I mean, it's important that you see the cruise director, but it's also important that you see the entertainment team. And I know that, you know, they're, they also need time on the microphone. So I'll usually be up there just to be there and see, and then they'll be doing their thing. And I have worked with such amazing teams over the years that uh, deck parties are usually a ton of fun.
1: And I guess, you know, there's so much going on, not just in that day, but across the whole week or the, the itinerary of a cruise. Is there one thing that stands out that, you know, just it's an absolute delight for you to go and host it or co-host it or or just
3: be, be there and, and uh, be a part of it? Totally. Liar's Club. I absolutely love being on Liar's Club. Uh, and I love the Love and Marriage game show. Um, I think so, they're just...
1: Love and Marriage I'm familiar I, with, but Liars Club, I'm not familiar with that one at all, actually.
3: Really? Okay, so it's when you get, uh, usually the cruise director, if there's a comedian on board, you'll get that. And I know on Celebrity Cruises, they love to use the officers. Basically, you're given a word, and the panelists on stage, there could be three, there could be four, would have to give a different definition to that word and make up oh, the most okay. elaborate you know, entertainment yep, yep, story. yep. I think I yeah. must have heard it called
1: something else elsewhere, but yeah, I'm with you now.
3: It's probably, it's Liar Liar in the UK, I okay. believe. Okay. Um, so they, yeah, they have a couple names for it, but that game show is always a ton of fun. I wish I could do it for like my street here at home <laughs> in, in Toronto. I, th- I think they would just love it. Um, that, and uh, I absolutely love hosting Q and A's with the captain. I think it's so interesting. Yeah. Um, every time there's a new story or there's something cool that comes out. And my other thing I love to do on the ship, and I know this sounds so cheesy, I love to make announcements. And the reason is, especially from the bridge, like departure announcements with the captain are awesome mm-hmm. because you get to see the whole bridge team up there. And we don't often get to see each other. It's not, you know, that's not my workspace. I'm yeah. usually in and out. Um, but especially if it's around departure, because then I'll just stay on the bridge and just <laughs> watch departure. in the and- view. Taken the view, and how many other people can say that they've, you know, sounded the ship's horn and stood next to the captain as he's maneuvered the ship, and it's just the most incredible feeling to know that this entire mass is being controlled from where you're standing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I, yeah, those are just a few of my favorite things. Anyway, I digress.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 I love it. Um, And is there anything that you particularly love um, about your fellow crew and guests? Oh my goodness.
3: I think that the talent amongst the crew is incredible, and that goes across every single department. Food and beverage is such a beast. I mean, entertainment, Mm -hmm. yes, there's a lot of entertainment around the ship. There are tons of amazing entertainers. But I will say, being able to tackle the amount of work that the food and beverage team has to go through... Yeah. is incredible from on onboarding the food checking the temperatures making sure it's stored properly getting the drinks up on deck making sure stock levels are even and everything's ordered for the next cruise and the next cruise and it's incredible they're such talented people Housekeeping's yeah. another one what a big job <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot, a lot of job. sheets and towels to wash every day oh my goodness and you know the amount of energy it takes too so they honestly amaze me every single day, um, in terms of passengers, I love hearing people 's stories specifically if you ever cruise with me, tell me about your cruise ship stories, tell me about your most interesting cruise. Tell me about your favorite ship I love talking I love talking ships
1: <laughs> <laughs> and just out of interest i haven't hadn 't got this in my in my questions which just popped into my head obviously you've you 've worked on different ships for different cruise lines that attract different demographics from different parts of the world is Is it v- very similar, no matter whether it's a ship full of Brits or a ship full of Aussies or a mix of English-speaking guests. Does the vibe
3: change a little bit depending on whether oh, the guests are coming from? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Does it ever. <laughs> now, I'd like to preface this by not saying I, – I don't mean this to sound offensive at all. I'm just yeah, saying yeah. objectively, in my experience, this is what it's been like. So um, American guests are, I'd say, the most well-rounded, you kind of mm-hmm. know what to expect. They generally are pretty run of the mill. Um, you know, you have your people that want to watch the shows. You have your people that don't. They're usually self entertained and easy. I would mm-hmm. say yep. the British audience is a little bit different. They like to keep to themselves more. And being Canadian, I understand the British audience because we we share a similar. Yeah. Kind of dark sense of humor at times. Um, I grew up watching Mr. Bean. I love that type of comedy, Mm -hmm. but that type of comedy doesn't fly in the U S for example. Yep. Yep. So from that perspective, I definitely see a shift. Uh, Also, I think the, the British audience um, you guys are a little bit more particular with certain things, uh, for example, and it's kind of interesting on Uh, my first cruise line, we were transitioning from Fort Lauderdale to Southampton. And for the Southampton cruise, they had to onboard tea kettles for every single cabin because that's (laughs) what that audience wants. Right. And that's, but that's just one of the, and the other thing is um, the British audience will like, will usually be a little bit more reserved in terms of criticism, but it's only after a couple of things have happened that the criticism Mm -hmm. comes out and it comes out all at once. So, and that, that does tend to happen but you learn how to work with a different audience and you try and anticipate that so you just have to be a little bit more attentive and that solves the problem uh (laughs) the australian audience is a ton of fun things will break and that's okay (laughs) (laughs) um love it and yeah and and you know every single audience has its pluses and I wouldn't even say minuses. There aren't minuses. I think it's just different different audiences, and you have to learn how to cater to all of them. But yeah. it is tough trying to change your entertainment style.
1: Yeah, no, I can imagine. And I have to say, I think if if I think of all the cruises I've been on, I think I favor a cruise that's got a, a bit of a balance of everybody. that isn't one mm-hmm. kind of dominant nationality or language or you know style. When there's a good mix of everybody from all around the world, it just seems to you know just come, all come
3: together very nicely. Oh yeah. And there's a formula for that based on, I can, I can literally predict <laughs> what ship sailing out of where will have, which demographic. Now. Okay. <laughs> um, I can pretty much say, I know who's going to be on that. If it's MSC, <laughs> they're going to make announcements in eight different languages. And that's awesome. Same thing with Costa. <laughs> mm-hmm. But if you're sailing, you know, um, let's just say celebrity out of Southampton, it's going to be a primarily American or British audience. Yeah. Um, you know, but it just, it varies. You know, you just pick that up after after you have experience, I guess.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. Now, I wouldn't ever dream of asking your favorite ship because I just don't think you would ever be able to choose one. But you must have a favorite venue or a feature of a particular ship. And if you do, what is it and why?
3: Okay, do you want me to give you my favorite ship?
1: Oh, well, if you want to. I just didn't think you would have one. I thought you would have a, a blend or more, th- three maybe. Because <laughs> I can't choose one, I have to say.
3: Oh, I can. Okay. I definitely can. Definitely. I, okay, I, I can pick. It's it's a class of ship, And I've worked on the majority of them. And I don't mind sharing this because okay. it's, it's uh, you know, there are pictures of it and stuff online. But uh, when I worked for Celebrity Cruises, I absolutely loved Celebrity Equinox and Celebrity Eclipse. Those two ships hold a very special place in my heart. And not only for the fact that my experience on board was great. Those ships are beautiful. Yeah, they, they are. are so beautifully sleek, modern, elegant, airy. I just think that uh, Celebrity Cruises did an absolutely incredible job with those ships, and uh, I hope to God they never age. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, I, to be honest, I think that was what that was a game changer for, for Celebrity. I think that that class of ship. I think it really defined who they have kind of grown up to become. Um, and yeah, it, and I'm it's great to see it doing so well and evolving, continuing to evolve with, you know, edge and and the others that are following now.
3: I'm so excited to cruise on edge one day as well. And I'd (laughs) also like to, to backtrack and say that, uh, you know, I've, I've also had experience working with, with other lines. I worked with Morella cruises and um, they, they had the ex celebrity galaxy as well as the um, celebrity century. Mm -hmm. And I will say, you can definitely tell their ex celebrity vessels because they're so beautiful and Mm. you go on a lot of ships that were built in the the early 90s and you can definitely tell they're from the early 90s but these ships are just gorgeous the way that they were were made and uh, i think celebrity really has a knack for designing gorgeous ships i
1: think norella have done a really good job as well and kind of keeping them keeping them as good as they should be
3: oh yeah oh they put a lot of time and a lot of money into ships. And really, you know, that's what it does come down to. And certain cruise corporations are better at it than others. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you can, I mean, I'm sure as a guest, you can tell which ships have been, I I call it loved, because really, you can tell when a ship's loved, you can tell when a ship's not loved, you know? Yeah, yeah,
1: no, for sure. Now, obviously, COVID um, put pause on a lot of people's lives. And um, I'm intrigued, without giving your podcast away too much, I recall in one of the earlier episodes, you talked about the the fear that kind of came across you when you were told that you had to uh, host, a, I think it was a dance class for the first time. And I believe <laughs> during COVID, that has been one of your, your I hate the word pivot, but your, your kind of side hustle that you've been doing on the side. I believe you've been totally hosting online
3: dance classes totally a side hustle. Yes. Um, I was actually, we put a little pause on it just because I think, uh, things have started to open up in a lot of places in the world and definitely in North America in-person classes are back and Mm -hmm. demand kind of went down a little bit. So I'm a little sad about it, but it's okay. Um, (laughs) so we did dance classes last summer on my driveway and it was literally, Cruise Director Kabir's signature dance class transported from the pool deck to my driveway. And <laughs> we had a ball. The whole neighborhood would come out and do it. And um, I was just so thankful that I was able to just share that joy with other people and know that it's cruise ships are gorgeous. And, you know, the aesthetic elements of the ship are beautiful but it just also reminded me that the crew are integral to the experience that you have on board. Right. So, um, that was just a reminder that, Hey, it's, it's personality at the end of the day. And, uh, that's, that's what's going to drive it home.
1: (laughs) I'm a big believer in everything happened for a reason. Obviously it was meant to be that you would find your now husband, but if COVID hadn't have happened and your career at sea was still kind of on that little, uh, journey. Where do you reckon you would have been now? Would you have been in the Med? Would you have been in Alaska or somewhere or possibly the Caribbean? Where would life have taken you? Any idea?
3: So before I met my husband, Thales, the plan was for me to go back to work in September of 2020. Of course, that date kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed. <laughs> and, pushed and, pushed. and uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, the cruise line did launch. So I'm very, very happy. All, all of the ships are running and I'm just so pleased to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, where would I have been? Oh, I couldn't imagine how life would have turned out if I hadn't met Talus. I really, really can't. Um, oh my goodness, you've thrown me for a loop. <laughs> okay, let's where let's, let's I... tweak it slightly
1: then. If you could be anywhere today, anywhere in the world, on doesn't doesn't have to be on a ship. It could be on a ship, or you could be uh, trekking through the, the Amazon. What 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 would what would you like to be today? If you could jump on a plane and go anywhere,
3: Greece. Greece. Yeah. I'd love to be in Greece. I'd love to be in Greece. My best friend's on our honeymoon there at the moment. My, my other best friend who is my neighbor is Greek, um, which is probably how that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, yeah, so I've just been surrounded by Greece this summer and I would love to go back to Greece. Um, One of my favorite ports is Mykonos. I love Mykonos uh, and I'd love to experience it now as a proper adult. Because when Mm -hmm. I went there last, I was 21. Uh So yeah, I I just, I wasn't really ready to experience it the way that you should experience it. So now I feel like I'll I'll go there and actually appreciate it for what it is rather than um, pretending to be a good boy and getting on the ship um, safely.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now that kind of leads me into the, the next segment. But yeah, I'm a Europe boy at heart as well. I, you know, as much as I love Australia and I love Western Australia, it's been a long time. I'm normally in Europe two, three, four, sometimes five times a year. And I haven't been for such a long time that I'm desperate to to get back. But let's keep it all about you. Let's keep it about what you love. Do you have a favorite region
3: or destination? Greece. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a favorite? um... Go on, sorry. Well, okay. So Greece is, yeah, it has a couple of my favorite ports, but I will say in terms of my favorite region, there are two. I love Baltic and I love Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. I would say Mediterranean is beautiful. Um, I'd love some more experience in Barcelona. I haven't been there in a while, but if I were to pick a favorite place that I have been to, and, uh, while I'm working specifically, I would say the Baltic, because I wouldn't say that's a region that I would book a cruise to go and see, you mm-hmm. know, off my mm-hmm. own will. I just wouldn't have thought that. Um, I mean, it, not, not to say I, I wouldn't at any point, it's just, you know, being a young person that doesn't strike yeah, yeah. me as a young person destination, Yeah. but, um, it was, just amazing going there. It was breathtaking. I remember sailing through the Norwegian fjords and thinking, these are gargantuan. And Mm -hmm. I'm on this massive ship and I feel like a little cork. And it was just (laughs) beautiful. I remember being on uh, that point, it was Celebrity Eclipse in The Forward Lounge, Deck 11 Forward. They have a spa lounge that I just used to sneak into every once in a while and (laughs) watch the departure if nobody else is in there. I mean, you know, just stand there in uniform. No one's going to really say much. But,
4: uh,
3: (laughs) oh, my gosh, that was gorgeous. And I would say that uh, Scandinavia is just an incredible place. So, yeah, definitely the Baltic. It's nice to get off the ship and see real real stuff to do and things to see. And, you know, I drove an electric car in – is it Stangerfjord or Yep. I have to, I have to go through my notes.
4: Um,
3: <laughs> I mean, I drew, I drove uh, a car through Lisbon after a transatlantic. I remember it was an all nighter. I had to stay up because I was stepping up to assistant cruise director, the next cruise. And I bought <laughs> shoes the next day and I still have those shoes. Um, I wore the, I wear them on stage often, but anyway, I digress again, but uh, I would say Baltic and uh, Mediterranean.
1: And I think this is going to define probably some of your next answers, um, bar one maybe. Favourite port to sail in or out of? Let me see if, if I'm going to guess one of these. I'm going to keep quiet though and let you, you'll let you tell me what it is.
3: Well, you know it's Mykonos <laughs> <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of my favourite port. But in terms of the arrivals or departures, um, you know what? Stavanger, Norway is gorgeous. I had the opportunity to sail out of there on uh, Marella. once again uh, a couple of years ago and oh my gosh was it as beautiful as I remembered it and I was I remember feeling and you don't feel this often but I felt honored to have been able to do it a few times in my life and you know being 26 honored to have done it three four times at this age is just oh my god it was just gorgeous yeah what were you going to guess
1: I thought it was going to be in um, the Baltic. I thought it was going to be. Oh, I'm forgetting the port now, but it's a long sailing. You go past all these archipelagos and islands, and oh, yeah, four-hour You're sailing talking
3: about Stockholm. Yes, Stockholm. yes,
1: Stockholm. Yeah, I just couldn't think of it there, and then um, oh, I, I don't know why I thought that was going to be one of yours.
3: You know what? You just reminded me. Uh, okay, so I'm going to put that up to the next, uh, the next one right there, next to the next to uh, <laughs> Bergen or Stavanger, Norway. But uh, yeah, oh my God, see what I mean? I think. Yeah. The Baltic is super underrated. If you're listening and you have not done a Baltic cruise, take one and I will give you a life hack. Sometimes you can get repositioning cruises that depart from the Baltic and go to the Mediterranean. And they usually are a great deal. So highly, highly recommend it.
1: (laughs) Brilliant. My next one was going to be favorite port. You've already chosen Mykonos. You've got to choose somewhere else.
3: Okay. Um, All right. Let's give it a think. Um, You know what? Stockholm is probably up there. I love Stockholm. We docked right next to the Abba Museum. In fact, on Celebrity Silhouette on the uh, Sky Lounge there, you can look directly into the Abba Museum. Um, Yeah. So Stockholm is up there. Favorite port. Um, You know what? Bar Harbor, Maine. Funny enough. Switching gears entirely. Mm, Okay. Beautiful port. Went there with Anthem of the Seas uh, for my dad's 50th birthday. I took him on a cruise. And that was a gorgeous port. I absolutely had a great time there.
1: Brilliant. Not a part of the world that I'm overly familiar with, but I've I've seen lots of pretty pictures and it does look fabulous. So it's definitely up there at some point to, to, for me to get to. And um, out of all the places you've been to and all of the probably shore excursions that you've probably had the privilege
3: of being able to uh, be on as well,
1: is there a favorite shore excursion that you've done anywhere in the world?
3: Yes. In Agadir, Morocco, on my contract in 2019 I had my parents visiting me and they visited me specifically to take me home at the end of my contract (laughs) just before Christmas and to show they they came on that cruise to Morocco uh, to see it because you know when else would we go to Morocco yeah and I remember we drove through this beautiful um country and stood on sand dunes, had the most amazing food, and had this incredible guide. Uh, that was probably one of the most incredible um, experiences I've had with my parents. We we saw a camel. We <laughs> did. We lived <laughs> the Arabian dream, really.
4: <laughs> Brilliant.
3: Um, And it was just incredible. I would say that goes down as one of my favorite uh, shark excursions. Another one, oh my gosh, you'll love this. When I was working for Celebrity in the Caribbean, I took a short excursion with my dad. We were in St. Kitts. We were we went paddleboarding. Oh, and it yeah. was one of the stand-up paddle boards, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was walking toward him on the beach and I stepped on something and had the most severe sharping, sharp shooting pain through my foot you could ever think of having. It and it it was like really sharp, and then it was dull, and then it was sharp again. And I went up to my dad. I'm like, dad, my foot, my foot. And he looked at it and he just gave the little, you know, the quiet symbol We put his finger up to his lips. And he was like, I'm on the phone with your mom. You're okay. Right. Cause my parents really love each other. So (laughs) he was too busy. And ironically, my dad's a doctor. And then after that, I'm kind of jumping around. He's like, all right, I better go. Our son's in pain. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, bless. I oh,
1: mm-hmm. love it, love it, love it. Now, let's go back before you were a cruise director. When you when you were a regular cruiser, are you a bit of a uh, self-discoverer or do you do you really prefer to be on a shore? Does
3: it really depend on where you are? It depends on where I am. Um, generally, uh, if I'm in Europe, I prefer not to be on a shore excursion. I like to take those hop-on, hop-off buses. Yeah, and I like to just do my own thing. Usually, I have cellular data wherever I go, which is super convenient for that. Um, you can just see the landmarks right away and go, you're on your own now more than ever. Um, but I, I will say there is a lot of value in shore excursions, especially in places where let's just say there aren't a ton of landmarks. Um, mm-hmm. if we're talking about, you know, go let's going to take a, a sand buggy or, um, something or zip lining or things yeah, like yeah, that.
4: Yeah, yeah.
3: Definitely worth it. Uh, in, in that case. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I would say shore excursions definitely have their place. But I think it's important that everybody does their own research and you make sure that you do what's exactly right for you. And to be honest, since 2015 until now, I have seen shore excursions evolve exponentially, where yeah. the cruise lines are now not the only ones providing them. And I think they have they figured that out. Mm-hmm. And they've really stepped up their game as well. So it's hard to go wrong.
1: Yeah it's it's not uh, the days of you know 50 people on a coach just driving by everything i think have pretty much gone and it's now become about smaller groups really immersive all about the food all about the wine all of about meeting locals it it's really what it should all be about i guess
3: Yeah exactly and um i think it's important also to be informed of where you're going you know if you're going to an island in the caribbean remember that that island is more than just a beach and a drink right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um there's such rich history. Uh, some islands have multiple um, parts to them. Like, for example, St. Martin, it has a French side and a Dutch side. Yeah, and yeah. You have, you know, islands um, that are just so rich with history. And I think it's important that you honour those places by learning a bit about that history while you're there.
1: Now, let's uh, let's pretend that that magic email has just dropped into your inbox and it's got your future contract on and it's going to tell you you can work on your dream ship in a particular part of the world. What ship would it be? And I'm guessing it's in Greece, but you can change it if you need to. Uh,
3: um, Yeah, what ship would it be? I mean, it would just be my dream to work aboard, uh, I would say, Celebrity Equinox or Eclipse um, as cruise director. Because I remember I have notes, actually from when I worked on those ships to things that I would love to do when I become cruise director of those ships. Um, <laughs> so at least if I, I don't think I'm ever going to stop being a cruise director fully, I think it'll always be one foot in the door in some way or another, mm-hmm. as long as my husband, uh, you know, I'm able to see him because I, I do, I would miss him incredibly,
4: mm-hmm.
3: but it would be an honor to work on those ships in the Baltic, um, heading into Greece, the Mediterranean, Mediterranean in Greece would just be an absolute dream on those ships. And they have such so much glass everywhere you can see out all the time. Um, and they're just it would be amazing.
1: Brilliant. Now, let's just mix it up for a little bit. We've got a quick fast fire round, you do not know any of these quick questions. Basically, you've got a couple of choices, you can just choose one. Um, first one is, oh, are you you packing? Are you rolling falling? Or are we into these cubes?
3: Oh, um, rolling. I like to roll my food. Uh, Not food. I like to roll my clothes. Um, That's where my mind's at. Um, I like to roll my clothes. I think it's the most efficient way to utilize space.
1: Brilliant. Sunrise or sunset?
3: Sunset. I'm not awake for sunrise.
1: (laughs) My shout at the bar, what are you drinking?
3: Vodka shot or vodka on the rocks.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, Sea day, port day or
3: turnaround day? Oh, goodness. day. Uh,
1: Med or the Caribbean? Med. Alaska or Norway? Norway. South Pacific or the Australian coast? Australian coast. <laughs> Brilliant. Love it. Um, and if this is not a fast fire, this is just a, a random question that I always like to put out to anybody that's got a career at sea. If you were talking to a young person who has that little sparkle in their eye and had dreams of a career at sea. What would be the best advice you would give them?
3: Be open to absolutely everyone that you meet because everybody's going to have something to share about their experience. And also that the working on a ship has – it's definitely, you know, it can be very relaxed, but it's also a very uptight environment in a lot of ways. It is somewhat at some times – Militant, um, in terms of ranking and structure and things like Mm -hmm. that. And other times it's not. Um, Mm -hmm. Respect that structure, but also be true to who you are, and don't let authority always intimidate you. Speak out, speak your mind, speak out. Be courteous and be kind.
1: Very good. Now we're almost there. If somebody is listening, and bear in mind our listeners are all over the world and are considering a first cruise possibly for the first time what would be that one tip of advice just to to, to make sure that their cruise just ticks the boxes and there isn't that little mistake or a hiccup that, that they haven't thought about?
3: Yeah, um, don't always feel that there's a one-size-fits-all. Um, the biggest ship is not always the best ship. And I also think that there's something to be said for ships that are not the newest. Mm-hmm. Um, that and always, always, always look at different ships and different cruise lines that are sailing similar itineraries because nowadays especially you can get an absolutely incredible deal um for example Celebrity Cruises is going all inclusive with a lot of things there yeah. are cruise lines like Marella that offer all inclusive um there are cruise lines that will offer you complimentary shore excursions now because there are really good incentives Look at all those incentives and look at all the discounts you apply for. I know if you're from Ontario, you get a certain discount on certain cruise lines. You Mm -hmm. get loyalty discounts. If you are police, fire, EMT, or teachers, educators, you get a discount. So always look into those offers because just when you think you're ready to book, there could be just one more little discount that makes a difference between, (laughs) let's just say, getting a balcony and getting a suite. And I think, I think, that, you know, you can really get the most out of cruises because there are so many different deals out there. So uh, don't limit your research to put it in short form.
1: (laughs) Brilliant. Love it. Love it. Love it. And uh, finally, if uh, if any of the listeners have had the privilege of cruising with you, and I haven't, and I do hope so I do at some point in the future. (laughs) um, Have you got a message for those people that have sailed with you and uh, want to say hi?
3: Oh my goodness. Um, first of all, it would be my absolute pleasure. I'm so, I'd be so excited to just be back out at sea again at some point and, um, come to all the parties. Don't live in your cabin, get out there and enjoy yourself. And, uh, I would also tell them to listen to my podcast.
1: (laughs) Let's talk about your podcast. Let's get it in there because um, I'm hooked. I did the first 10 episodes in half a day. I've done three this week, but it's been a crazy, crazy week. And it's brilliant. I'm really, really enjoying it. So let's give it a massive plug because I want the listeners to to find you on their favorite uh, podcast directory.
3: Oh, well, thank you so much. And you know what, we did take a bit of a break, uh, since April, but luckily I do have a couple of episodes ready to come out now and, uh, you will be on an upcoming episode as well. So, oh. <laughs>
4: um,
3: yeah, so, so stay tuned for that to all of our amazing listeners right now. But, uh, basically this podcast is capturing, it's inspired mostly by my journey at sea and, uh, working in the different positions that uh, I had held and I, it tries to give the most unbiased and real experience to working on a ship because I wish when I started on ships, that there was someone that told me all this stuff that was going (laughs) to happen. Because it kind of is like being in the mob, you know, you get to one part of your checkpoint and then you get you go somewhere else and someone else tells you what to do. And then you get somewhere else and someone Mm. else tells you what to do. The right hand doesn't always know what the left hand is doing. (laughs) Um, But this podcast is supposed to cover all of that, the ups, the downs, the mediocre parts, and hopefully the entertaining bits, because, oh my goodness, there are just so many things that happened to me in my career, and I don't ever want to forget them. So in many ways, this podcast is not just a recanting of my story, it's me being able to check in. As I yeah. go, <laughs> I tell you, so, you must
1: have written some incredible notes to, to be able to recall some of this stuff. Because obviously, you're talking about this a couple of years after it happens. So you, you were kind of recounting, you know, going to sea for the first time, and but talking about it a couple of years down the track. So your your diary must be full.
3: <laughs> oh, the diary's full, and not only that, it's my camera roll. I took ah. pictures of every every moment I could. I remember to be like, okay, let's take a picture of this. And uh, there's pictures of you know. Parties in people's cabins from back in the day, (laughs) Christmas celebrations, um, decorations and and parties, and even just turnaround days, pictures and selfies with guests at the beginning of my career. And I believe we are well into me just at the beginning part of being cruise director now and uh, in the podcast. and. There are some great, great things coming. I had to take a bit of a break from it. I will admit to everyone. So if you do go and see that, you know, it hasn't been updated in a little bit, uh, that is true, but we're getting back to it. I was busy getting married, starting a company, and now I'm finally able to get back to doing what I love as well.
1: Fabulous. Now I will put the link, of course, to your podcast. In fact, we didn't name it. What's, What's it called?
3: It's called Keeping Afloat, and it's available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, If you give it a quick search, um, I'm sure it'll come up. And if you really can't find it, you can go to cruisedirectorkabir.com and it is there on my website.
1: Brilliant. And of course, I will put a link to it in the show notes as well so that uh, our listeners can very, very easily find it. Could be an absolute pleasure, mate. I'm so glad that our, our paths crossed and you found your way into my inbox and we could have you as part of uh, the Big Cruise Podcast. It's been my absolute pleasure, and uh, to have you on the the show today. And uh, I genuinely hope that our paths cross at sea. I'd love to be able to cruise with you, and experience you because I think you're going to be up there in my top two or three cruise directors.
3: Oh my goodness. Okay, I'd be I'd be so honored. And to be honest with you, the pleasure is all mine. I'm so happy that I was able to come and. Uh, I mean, I'm looking forward to having you on my show.
1: Brilliant. Thanks once again, mate. Stay safe. No worries. And it's time for Itinerary of the Week. And this week's itinerary actually was inspired by Kabir. He just touched on a ship, um, Celestial Olympia, which operates for Celestial Cruises in the Aegean. And that got me thinking back to episode number one. Yes, the very, very first episode of this podcast was actually recorded on board the sister ship, uh, Celestial Crystal. Now, the difference between those two ships is the Olympia operates on three and four night cruises and the Crystal operates on seven night itineraries. And it's a cracker of a seven night itinerary. It operates predominantly between Easter, so around about April um, through to late September, early October. And the seven night itinerary departs from Athens before heading over to Kushidasi in Turkey, which is, of course, the gateway to Ephesus. We then head over to Rhodes, over to then over to Agios Nikolaus, uh, before heading over to Santorini, where the great thing about this thing, you arrive at 7 o'clock in the morning and you don't depart until 2.30am the following morning. So you get a full day late evening um, before you need to depart. So you can really sample the best of the Greek hospitality ashore and also on the ship. Then heading over to Milos for a brief morning stop, before finally going over to Mykonos, where we have an arrival at 7 o'clock in the evening, departing at 7 o'clock the following evening. So you get to sample the delightful sunset the first night, and then have the whole of the next day in Mykonos, before departing at 7 and heading on back to Athens, which is where, of course, you will depart the ship. This itinerary operates uh, throughout the majority of the Northern Hemisphere summer, so uh, as I said, April-ish, or around about Easter through to late September, early October. The great thing about Celestial is the, the hospitality. They are known for their Greek and uh, Mediterranean hospitality. The crew are predominantly from Greece. The uh, the dining is all about the destination, so it's all very much uh, flavoured from Greece. And uh, the entertainment is also Greek, but you get to really immerse yourself in the islands and also sample that uh, Greek hospitality onboard the ships as well. The other benefits on Celestial Cruises is that you have uh, not only your accommodation and your meals but also have your beverages included as a standard cruise fare and you also get two complimentary shore excursions on the seven night itinerary it does vary uh, from time to time but most of the time it includes the Ephesus excursion and also another second excursion elsewhere in the itinerary but uh, for full details I have included the link to uh, the itinerary in the show notes but of course always head uh, to your your favourite clear accredited cruise consultant, for the relevant cruise fares in your market, depending on where you are in the world, of course, and uh, to be able to get the best rate on a cracking itinerary.
0: That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favourite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage.